0: And when you don't think about automation as a as a as a tool that you can utilize, you end up just doing more low value work than you could be doing. You could be completely value driven, uh, high level vision driving product from from a, the perspective of what a CEO should be driving it, which is you know most founders are assuming the role of CEO um, versus manual onboarding, adding users, doing all of this extra work that takes weeks and, and leaves you know, some firms uh, unsatisfactory uh, in terms of, uh, of, of speed of, of implementation. Uh, whereas now they can do it on a Saturday night. They can do it all on their own. They don't need to talk to us. We don't even need to know what they're doing and we'll just flag certain KPIs
1: internally. Welcome to Startup Phil, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wulstfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and we're having conversations with tech leaders in our community about how they're working through the current global economic crisis and the larger implications on their sectors. Today, we're talking with Ryan Queering, co-founder and CEO of Safety Tech, a platform that helps companies create accountability and engage their workforce around safety. Safety Tech has been through a lot since we last talked to them in our first season. So we talked with Ryan about their experience in Alchemist Accelerator in Silicon Valley, how they refined their sales funnel, and now how they're helping their customers return to work safely in the wake of COVID-19. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications.
2: Brian, it's been a while since we last caught up. Um, I think it was the first season, which feels like an age ago, and, and certainly in your world, Aside from COVID and everything else, a lot has happened.
0: It was like six years ago. Um, it feels like I think that was back in twenty eighteen. Yeah, the uh, the life cycle of where we're at has certainly um, completely changed. Uh, experiences through San Francisco, going through Alchemist Accelerator there, uh, and then of course ramping up after fundraising. Uh, you know, getting the, the seed, uh, VC capital in, in the bank in September last year, uh, 2019 starting to recruit tons of travel, uh, signing new clients, tons of travel, um, to complete gridlock shutdown in March. And, uh, you know, funny story when, when like kind of, this was trickling out and, you know, we heard iterations of it in February, January, you know, there's this thing in China that's happening. Um, it's so disassociated to your day-to-day that you just, you know, it's nothing really to take serious. And then mid-February, you know, I I, I had my birthday uh, traveling. I was in Austin, Texas. I was in Montreal. Um, Got back from Austin, Texas at the very end of February. And that's when COVID-19 started to like, start to really become a a thing in North America. And uh, so did one week in the office and they were like, not, we're working from home that's that's it (laughs) and so completely cancelled the rest of my trips for the rest of the year
2: so there is so much in there to unpack i mean it's like bullet point bullet point bullet point because it's just been so much so let's start at earliest to most recent and we might deviate on the way um when we first spoke in season one i think it was episode three episode two episode three it was, it was very early days for what I felt, safety tech, way, where you were at at that time. At that point, with the model that you had for safety tech and what you were doing with it, how did going to um, Alchemist Accelerator help change, improve, or change the way you were thinking about safety tech as was?
0: Yeah, so uh, when we were chatting, I think we'd, we just hired our second staff member at that point in time. And so we were a team of four, myself, co-founder, and then uh, two, two team members. And uh, you know, we were still figuring out our, like we understood our value proposition. We were figuring out how to, how to talk about our value proposition on a, on, at a scale, uh, not, not just individually to On a one-on-one kind of individual level, because we could communicate that well enough when we when we cold called someone or when we like prospected an individual, we could we could pick them out. Uh, but to do that on mass, so to speak, really became the, the the challenge we were trying to solve. And so we went to Alchemist in late 2018. We got in, um, only Canadian firm to to be in the cohort, uh, which was a bit unique. Um, we we were the only ones that had to deal with you know the the logistical issues of running a team that was still in the same time zone but the same continent but different different country (laughs) so um it was interesting because we we got into that and we started talking with the mentorship that existed there we had uh so we got paired up with coaches uh ceo coach uh, sales coach and a goals coach and all three of them added value at various levels uh the goals coach uh, helped us stay accountable to our own goal setting. So here's what we wanted to accomplish in two weeks. And then he would make sure that in two weeks' time, we, we met those goals. And if we didn't, why? Let's understand, like, did you did you scope it too big? What, what, what was the issues? So it really helped us shape our own process to, to keep ourselves accountable. Because when you're was, working for yourself, it's...
2: Was that an element of discipline uh, that when, when you're starting out... Or with any organization, you're the boss, okay, something can slip, but someone to hold that, hold your feet to the flame, someone to hold you accountable, and for you maybe to understand the impact of things not achieving those dates, that's, that's real psychological change in the way that you deal with your responsibility to the organization.
0: Yeah, well, especially when you abstract it away from, from product, when you have like business goals separate from development goals, which are separate from the other, other, you know, personal goals. Um, so when I had a, a, a goal, what ends up happening when you start this, this kind of cadence is you, you, you have a large goal and then you granulate it down so that you can make, find a timeline, kind of like a roadmap of sort. Um, and, and while, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are able to do that,
2: Sorry. There is nothing wrong if there is something that I love with webinars, with interviews on video, with Zoom, is the chaos theory. And... Frankly, I have just discovered apart from the guy that was on the um, the guy, it was uh, someone from the Church of England was on uh, BBC News the other day. Have a watch. His, uh, his cat took a leading role by jumping up onto the table and t- stealing the milk from the milk pot and just j- milk jug and just licking it off. Amazing. By the way, I think you possibly have the loudest cat in Saskatchewan, but please carry on.
0: <laughs> thanks he's definitely calling for attention so um but yeah when, when you when you're so getting in that cadence of goal setting and like making them extremely granular where you can get from um a, a six-month goal all the way down to what do i need to accomplish this week becomes quite significant
2: <laughs> bring the cat in it's fine honestly bring the cat in because the cat's going to be quieter inside the room also i like cats there was a bizarre Oh, so beautiful. Uh, There was a bizarre discussion on the um, uh, Evergreen and Willow Grove discussion board on Facebook discussion board. Am I getting old? Um, Group um, all about uh, cat owners. And it was all from a dog owner perspective, which was fascinating. Uh, Oh, your cat's so beautiful. So please do carry on.
0: Yes, he's new. So still learning etiquette of business. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so being able to like chop that down into smaller goals where you can, it becomes more digestible. It's not so massive and huge. Right. So like even fundraising, um, you know, I was able to say, okay, I need to raise one and a half million. How do I, how do I do that? Well, I probably need to attract two, three, four investors. So, okay. How many meetings do I need to get to close two, three, four investors? And how, how do I, course that and so okay i had to have 160 meetings ultimately in order to close for investors and so it was quite um it was really kind of challenging internally like to work through that process and quite rewarding because i actually accomplished the goal which was quite important so
2: so the goal setting side seemed important to the to the elements that you got from alchemist um, uh, the, the business coach. So, so as, as a founder, as someone who is tech based, very often what I've, what I've seen from others is there's, there are the two schools. There's the business mind and there is the tech mind and applying the business to the tech or the tech to the business. You came from having the tech and getting the business around the tech, which is satisfying a need. And I, I get that completely. From the coaching you got at Alchemist, what did you what did you see as as gaps that you had that you didn't realize necessarily that you had before?
0: Yeah, so it was a, it was a sales process. So Alchemist is um is built for technical founders that don't have sales skills or sales uh, process or formalized sales training, and so developing the skills around sales was something that we really needed help with. Craig and I both, um, and so the art of the discovery call. So we were wasting our time. We were allowing anyone who would get on the phone with us to just absorb hours of our time and for what right So there was no objective. there was no like it was kind of just like oh, if someone wants to talk to me over this thing that I built. fantastic. let's let's do it. And so what we started to do through Alchemist was identify the people that we should be having conversations with versus the people who should just you know be on a drip campaign, get some marketing material continue to learn about us but maybe not take up 2 hours of our time. So that was that was quite something that that discovery call process and identifying the key the, like the the key words to that they re- resonate with in order to elevate them to all right now you deserve a demo or now you deserve like from from my perspective I'm delivering value to you in some way shape or form now you deserve to my time.
2: So there was certainly uh, uh, set out trigger points at which if they hit this effective kpi almost um this trigger point it's okay we'll take them further into the funnel and these people haven't hit that trigger point yet so they'll they'll stay on on the mailing list or or marketing or maybe some targeted communication that we would send them to get them further into that funnel um so let's talk in terms for maybe there's a uh, someone who hasn't been through this process, someone who is a tech founder who is very early days and they are finding themselves that there's every Bob and Brenda calling and, and they're spending a lot of time on the phone. How do you politely, when someone makes the effort of contacting you, how do you, how do you communicate to them? and and this is where it interests me how do you communicate with them to effectively put them into a, a a a particular lane of the funnel as to not push them away because they're not interesting at this time but to say well here is the information here is that information and and filtering the people without them becoming mardi as we'd say back home and going well if you're not interested i'm off to wherever else
0: yeah So it's, it's all about just transparency and authenticity, I think is what it really boils down to. Um, you, you, a bunch of open ended questions like, you know, what, what are you hoping to accomplish by talking to me? What, what are your goals? What are your timelines? Do you, have you talked to your superiors? Like, do you need to get approvals for budgets? Do you know if you can even buy anything from me? If you were, if if I had the best thing in the world that you could use today, could you buy it? are you even capable of doing that? And then getting the understanding around, well, I can't do this today, but I could do this in six months time when our new budgets open up. And so you kick the, kick the call down to then say, Hey, you know what, let's have a chat when it's closer to budget time. So we can, we can talk and, and re- reconnect and make sure that we're on the same page. Still things change. Um, if they're, if they're not at all qualified, like they don't have any approvals from higher ups they have no idea what they're actually looking for at this point in time you just say hey you know what so i think like the next steps for us are are simply to just stay in stay in touch um never say no uh so we'll stay in touch uh, i'll give you some some sales material that you can kind of bring up or or share throughout your team if you'd like and uh and we can reconnect when you, when you're m- a little closer to, to purchasing or, or ready to to make a, a move um in transforming your safety process so that's that's how you kind of let them down gently, just as if you're a tech founder, you're never going to hear a VC just outright say no. They're going to say, oh, we're going to wait until you hit this thing. You're, or we want to see more product market fit from you. It's not no. They're, they're always asking for more because they will never say no. They're too addicted to the deal flow. That That's what they're always going to, you're going to hear that. So you got to use that art on your prospects.
2: Yeah, uh, because they're going to look at it and go, "Okay, is this at the tipping point for value for me now? Yes or no. Um, So, uh, by the way, what's your cat called? Hercules. Hercules. Yes. That is such a great name. Such a great name. Uh, The only reason I'm saying this now is so that Mike doesn't edit the cat out of the podcast. So. um...
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Strategy, hey.
2: Strategic communications. Um, so you went to the Valley, the only Canadian company. Uh, you take the learnings, you apply them to the organization. Was the next step um the seed round? Was that the next step for you?
0: There was simultaneous next steps. So there was uh we completed the San Francisco Accelerator the core program in May. Uh, did demo day May 16th and had uh, a ton of inbound requests from various VCs asking us, um, you know, to, to meet. They, they want to sit down and, and have a, a quick again that discovery call, see if there's a good fit, or to have a like a semi pitch. I don't like calling them pitches because I, I don't I don't want to pitch on that first meeting. The first meeting should be a com a, a coffee kind of thing, right?
2: building that initial relationship just to see i mean like 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 a marriage or having a pet it's it's that learning learning that first part of a relationship build
0: yeah and understanding like if if we were to partner will i get along with you in six months or is there like red flags that i should back away none of us are that invested yet we're only 15 minutes in it's just part ways and and call it a day right that's a, it's a win for for me if i can remove you from my list if i'm just going to be bothering you kind
2: of thing okay so be really honest with me in those initial calls in those that initial period obviously you're very flattered when when the discussions start did you ha- actually have that feeling because i've spoken to others who have said i uh, the investment looked great but i think culturally it would have been a clash because they wanted a more corporate they wanted a this they wanted a that and and that wasn't culturally a fit for us
0: right no there's there's tons of that where um you know a lot of people will will try to force it and and ignore the red flags that are ultimately going to be their demise um but no we we opted to the first sign is if they even wanted the coffee because if they don't and they just want you to walk in and pitch to a, a single associate, well, that's a red flag right there. Cause they don't, they're, they're not speaking like their, their job is to find deals for the partners. Not so first, first idea for me was get a partner in the room. I want to talk to a partner cause they're, they're the ones who ultimately make the decisions. They're on the investment councils right they are They're the ones who influence people, not the associate. The associate really has no, no pull. So uh, that was my first challenge. And I did that over email. So that I'm, again, time invested very minimum. So if they, if they never responded, didn't care. I just I had a little uh, Kanban board that I would run for my investor management, and uh, I would just not move them forward. <laughs> they would stay in the in the pipeline, and then eventually close them off. But uh, but no, there, there's there's actually a few um, investors that I just I went in had the coffee, and they followed up, and I ended up kind of ignoring. Um, not ignoring, but politely letting down just, Mm -hmm. no, you guys aren't, uh," I could see that they were going to change the product in its value proposition because they're looking at other avenues. They're looking at workforce management or they're looking at things that we don't do. We're not experts in that and we would ultimately fail. And so while they are, their head happens to be in this location, sorry, he's getting into my stuff or their head happens to be in that avenue that aspect of a value proposition and it just wasn't the direction that we were wanting to go in and so we we both admitted that uh, you know it's probably not a great fit um but that was the least the culture side of things was was the least reasons for not fitting well the the bigger reason to not fit well was uh company size investment check size it was the, the round um, that they typically come in at because we, we had revenue already. A lot of us, a lot of them wanted to, to bring us in at series A, but I was, I was saying, no, we're, we're not ready. Like we're not that level of company yet. We're still pretty immature.
2: And so you got the right investment there. There, there was the fit you, you stuck to your guns. You, you knew what you wanted to achieve for the business um, that then leads to the growth, because obviously there needs to be a next step. What what was that s- process? What was what were the steps that you had there?
0: So to preface growth, you need foundations uh, before you can grow. And uh, so the next step after after raising was recruitment, um, finding finding talent that uh, would come in and and help with help facilitate growth kind of thing. Uh, that's, that was the, the next, uh, precursor. And so started the recruitment missions, um, in, in both sales, uh, technical rules, engineering, and, um, uh, marketing as well. Cause those were the things. So I started identifying the things on my plate that were, I was doing, I was doing the jobs, but I wasn't, I was spending an hour a day on them, not a full-time heads down only, deliver value in one area so that that was kind of the big thing is offloading because you can't just hire someone and then have them run full speed it's it is a full-time job just onboarding uh, a senior member of the team
2: so so let me let me ask you at that point point. one of the things that i've seen from from firms is how they resource an onboarding process because very often it's something that they've just never done before how did you how did you build that beyond this is the job these are the requirements how do you how do you do that induction when you've got so many tasks to address
0: i have uh i don't have here's the job here's here's the steps it's um here's the end result figure out your steps and ask and, and pull information out of me. Don't, don't rely on me to spoon feed you. Cause that's, that's not what I can do. I'm not a, a micromanager. I'm, I add more value up here, not at this layer. Right? So that, that was my approach was here's what I want you to accomplish. Here's the goals for the year. Tell me what you need from me in order to accomplish those. And I, I had rough numbers of budget, what I wanted to invest. So, I mean, if they came back and said, well, Ryan, I need, for this, I I would laugh at them and and say,
2: Hey, start high. That's where you start. You have
0: 8,000 to accomplish the same goal. But so it really came down to um, letting them become autonomous because they create a little bit of ownership. They get a little skin in the game. uh, They they get uh, there's a lot more accountability. And it's that whole goals process, just a little more granular, a little more focused with scope. And uh, so I started to like work through that with, with the new hires. And um, I found that to be quite effective Uh, and scalable. When you, when you really think about that, now I can teach that process to my, my heads of departments. And when they onboard new staff members, they just give them, it's more goal guided as opposed to, you know, do these 18 things and then go home at the end of the day. I, I want the people we're bringing into the organization, especially at this early stage to be more thought leaders. anything
2: so ryan from from the beginning of having the platform to how it's evolved has there been any major or minor iteration
0: yeah absolutely so what we saw in march was our entire sales pipeline uh completely dry up everyone went on uh cash freeze big big organizations didn't need to invest in safety right now they've gone this far without it so they just continue business as usual until the looming recession that is bound to occur has run its course. And so we had to figure out how to make money today uh, in, in today's, in in the the way that business operates today. So we switched from a a sales or a customer led growth platform, which was client acquisition through enterprise sales into a product-led growth uh, strategy uh, platform where we would do a ton of lead gen and have people come into product for no charge and then have the product upsell internally. And that has been a significant mindset change on client acquisition um, and the way we talk about the product itself.
2: Now, that's interesting, because if there is one thing that I've seen over the last three years, let's say, it's just been the popularity of, a, of let's say, a freemium model bringing people in getting them used to it getting them embedding it within an organization and then wanting that additional functionality or the additional reporting it's just been a a seismic change and i actually think that that seismic change started in in the mass market when we saw companies like um, adobe going to subscription cloud rather than buy out software it's just been incrementally different models have come along where historically it would have been straight buyout for everything
0: yeah there's a larger macro trend around champions within organizations specifically to safety is that uh they're used to downloading and using consumer products this is just what's happening they're they're using uber they're using skip they're using uber eats they're using DoorDash, whatever product that they're downloading and using There's an onboarding step and then there's a how to use it step. And then there's a invite other people to use this step. Right. And so we just adopted that, that trend and applied it to our platform. So here's what you need to do to set up first, get your pick your forms. Uh, Second step. Okay. Now invite your workers into this. And what we found was we're not necessarily finding the decision makers are, are locating this. It's the researchers. It's the, lower champions, the influencers of the product. So it's project managers are getting into the product, inviting their small team of crews, getting a use case and a value driven sales pitch internally to pitch to their management up, up in the decision making sec or layer of the company to say, hey, here's what I've found. Look at this thing. We should buy this for the entire organization. And that's that's the approach of what we're trying to do now is nibble away until we can get to the enterprise sales level and we'll start ruling out an enterprise sales type of uh, funnel again come uh, january february when, when things start to like everyone's used to working in the conditions that we're in now it's it's quite significant and uh I, i'm trying to get more people to think about it because now what ends up happening with enterprise software is we just get used, so used to doing manual work in setting things up and in configuration. And when you don't think about automation as a, as a, as a tool that you can utilize, you end up just doing more low value work than you could be doing. You could be completely value driven, uh, high level vision, driving product from, from a, the perspective of what a CEO should be driving it, which is, you know, most founders are assuming the role of CEO um, versus manual onboarding adding users doing all of this extra work that takes weeks and, and leaves you know some firms uh, unsatisfactory uh, in terms of uh of, of speed of, of implementation uh whereas now they can do it on a saturday night they can do it all on their own they don't need to talk to us we don't even need to know what they're doing and we'll just flag certain kpis internally
2: yeah uh i i totally believe in that i've got an experience from a previous organization which had an hr dashboard let's say first version of it everyone had to be assigned and trained and um there was an onboarding process of sitting in a an office classroom for two separate sessions on how to do time tracking how to do expenses how to do cost codes and and assigning things uh, that system changed to an app based one which started really initially as um, expense automatic expense um, uh, processing and inputting so it went straight into the system and then they just added functionality they said, well you already got the expense side of this well we'll do hours tracking we did mileage tracking and it was just product lay one product adding on the different functionality and then eventually, everyone had self-configured and there was a dashboard that accounts could see going tick this person's configured right this one hasn't this one has this one hasn't uh, you need to just help these two people out of the 80 people you're working with so i i totally buy in
0: no it's it's the way of the future so start thinking about automation in the early stages of your product it'll be much easier to implement
2: <laughs> so you went from four people what what's the workforce size now
0: uh workforce size today is 10 um yeah we ended up uh with with COVID 19 situation just tightening up some some uh spend uh optimizing teams um you know we we had some juniors on the team and they while in an office environment worked out just fine remotely became extra jobs on some of the senior members um Plates, And so we wanted to relieve them of, of having extra work to do in an already stressful uh, environment of, of their personal lives as well. So.
2: And I would imagine that there, there is an element of in this COVID era or in this era, in the time in which we live, there's a change in the level of not only productivity, but customer interest just full stop. It's ev- every industry and so so there's got to be an element of balancing the needs of the organization and the marketplace and just getting that right across the board.
0: So in March, it was unknown. Nothing was known. We, we had no idea. So because um, I'm connected into the networks in San Francisco, I was getting emails from Ravi at Alchemist and Danielle saying, get your 18 months cash flow, like nail it down. Uh, stop all extracurricular spending, stop anything that is not necessary, cut it, um, get 18 months runway. If you don't have 18 months runway, you may not survive. And then we started hearing tripling down, it's not 18 months anymore, now it's 24 months. Get 24 months of runway. And then uh, I got an email from uh, Sean uh, O'Connor with, with Connexus and he said, Ryan, plan for 30. If this is going to be the the COVID thing started as a two week stay at home experiment and then went to, no, we can't, we're like, everything's closed now. We can't even go to the office at this point in time. We're too big. We were 14 people walking into the recession or walking into COVID. Um, So it just, it slowly iterated. So then okay, my challenge as, as a CEO was to find 30 months of runway with the least amount of impact to business operations. Now I had to assume half my customers were going to churn. I had to assume no sales. So 30 months runway, no, no new customers. uh, and half of my existing clients were going to stick around. And so that was quite the challenge. So I have a fantastic team and we had some very real conversations around what that looked like short-term and what the clear signals of a return to normal are going to look like so that they had an expectation of when things were going to return back to the way they needed to be or the way they were. And so we ended up kind of doing sweeping salary cuts. Uh, Everyone across the board just all chipped in and said, yeah, sure. You know what? We can tighten up the belt loops for, for a couple months while we figure out what this is even going to look like and get some certainty around what's happening. And in early March, we started building a COVID-19 symptomatic tracker and that has turned out to be one of the the smartest things we've done to to date. Uh, And We we didn't double down on a pandemic but we wanted to just make sure that people could track what they could using a software tool and then we launched it for free. So
2: so that is an interesting thing because so many conversations I've had recently. There's been a very clear line, and there's almost a defensive line. Just there was a nanosecond in you. It's it was. We're not taking advantage of this. This is something that's needed, and here's my thinking. If there's organized organizations out there, price gouging, withholding stock to put prices up, that's morally corrupt. If you are a tech firm or any other traditional organization and in your in your heart of hearts and with integrity, you are saying, here is a function that we truly believe we can help. I don't think any organization should be ashamed of bringing that forward, even, even if ultimately it builds revenue. I don't think that should be a, a dirty thing because... At the end of the day, if you're helping people, there there needs to be this balance of s- sustainability, you know, free product that then builds into a wider uh, dashboard of other products. So be it, but but there's there's almost psychologically been this thing with so many people going, well, I've done this, but you know, I'm I'm, I I think people should actually be quite proud of what they're doing to make a difference in two contributes. So I salute you for for having the thought and foresight or the the idea to say, hey, we've got a platform, we could develop this, we could apply it. Take me into that product just, just very high level. What is it and, and how could organizations use it?
0: So uh, we're ultimately a data platform, which allows us to track data points across a wider range of uh, form instances. And the data points I don't care what they happen to be. It could be did the garbage truck come today? Yes or no kind of thing. Um, so we applied it to the the, the CDC's and Health Canada's uh, symptomatic questionnaire, and we we built that in the platform, and then we built a dashboard around it. And so the idea being any yes answers are an increase in risk, and if there's more than one yes answer, that's an even that's an amplified increase in your risk uh, across your entire workforce. And so we just started to highlight the individuals, your users, the workers actually filling out the forms, which ones were indicating or inclination on the trend line of risk. And that way management could see on a daily basis who might need to be quarantined, who might need to have maybe maybe not quarantine, but they work by themselves rather than with their regular teams. Or maybe uh, we, we supply them extra sanitization, extra PPE, in order for them to accomplish their jobs. Because it may be uh, allergies. It may be something else. It may not be COVID-19. But we want to just be able to track the risk that exists. Um, and so that's what we ended up doing. And, and we have a, a beautiful curve, a uh, risk profile curve, and we flattened it, so to speak, within an organization's risk perspective within, within respect to an outbreak. Um, because they were able to get a handle on it. When a, when a spike happened, they would just go to that person and start to, to chat with them and say, okay, look, maybe, maybe stay home for the next couple of days, just keep it safe and, and see if your symptoms get better or worse.
2: Have you noticed that just in general business terms, there's been a lot of organizations that didn't necessarily think or speak openly about safety who are now and maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call for general safety as well sure in 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 the workplace we see ppe in you know high vis, safety boots all the usual things um i i talk with um safe sask um regularly and uh Gord there it's just a a fascinating conversation that higher risk organizations have always been very good at having process and product and training where organizations where it's more office based they've been compliant but not necessarily invested time beyond what what's necessary for you know ticking the boxes do you think that from what you're seeing there's been so much more focus on i i don't know white collar or the office space as much now as, you know, work sites and higher risk uh, locations.
0: It's, it's shone a spotlight on health and safety of employees. It is absolutely so. And it's even created more willingness for employees to adopt because this is something that doesn't affect them only at work. Like I can only get paper cuts at work when I'm working with a photocopier. I can go home and escape that. But COVID-19 you could bring that home with you. And so it, it really elevated but, and put it on a, on a pedestal in such a, a way that helped em, em, employers or, or get their staff members to actually fill out the documentation and comply um, because they understood that the risk was not just at work. And so yeah. it's spotlight. We are getting a plethora of, of various verticals that I never thought we'd be talking to. We, we were chatting with... Um, uh, chocolate factory. Uh, I, I forget the name. It's it's a popular one, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and we, we signed a bank uh, to our platform because they they're trying to track their staff. Uh, we have, we're now getting into film where um, M night Shyamalan's uh, production company blinding edge productions is now a client of ours because they're trying to figure out how do we get actors back to set? How do we build the sets and have the, the contractors come in and, and work without the risk of spreading this thing. And they're trying to get a grasp of it.
2: Wow. Um, so that kind of leads me on and and immediately I'm thinking of my friends in media and film production who are in that exact situation of going, how do we get everyone back to a single location safety and tracking them and making sure that, that people are as safe as possible.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the, uh, this, again, that weird transition is nobody's experienced this in the entire world. Nobody alive today has experienced a (laughs) pandemic in the, in the, in the world of uh, or the, in the economies of growth that we happen to be the economies of scale that we're in today. And I feel like that, there's some, I feel like there's some, there's some comfort in that knowing that this is, nobody has an answer. That's no. all hypothesis and we're, we're figuring it out. But I did a webinar in, uh, early or late April around how, like, what are the, what are the things that you need to make sure you put in place to try to de-risk your operation prior to returning to work? And I, I boiled everything down to about 12 key pieces of information, six of them which you should be Worried you're putting in place prior to return to work. And then six of which you should be like an ongoing mm-hmm. uh, systematic uh, operation. And, you know, one of those things is psychological safety, of reassuring your workers, uh, no matter what industry you're in, this is applicable, reassuring your workers, that if they do come down with symptoms, don't lie on your form. You are, you're safe. Your job is safe. You're secure. Stay home for two weeks. That level of uh, commitment from from a C suite or management level of a, of a company helps employees and staff make the right decisions. So if you're collecting data, let's make sure this, let's remove the error from that data and, and allow uh, managers to make the proper um, choices and and, yeah. and not have
2: them at risk of losing their job. Because ultimately, the truth matters, and the only way this is going to work for everyone if it's fact based. Yep.
0: Yeah. So don't remove someone's livelihood or likelihood to to supply food for their family uh, because they have a cough let's let's be smart about this and r- ensure people that they're not in that situation
2: um, so you got the seed you did the accelerator seed growth it's still growth a um, uh, 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 a risk of stagnation over the world going sideways but, but actually <laughs> you develop a, a a small part of your product offering which is beneficial to all uh, you've seen growth with areas that or, or organizations or sectors or verticals that you didn't previously expect when you look at that growth side particularly um, have you found that because you had the relationships already with people in certain verticals that their the uptake of this product was was a, a very low barrier of entry because they understood the platform already and it seamlessly fitted in how how is that um i i don't know percentage wise or just generally the the uptick in use as a result of having this functionality over it not having previously
0: yeah, we've we've tripled our uh, our existing clients um, engagement metrics. So, if they were doing, uh, say, that they were using our platform for a toolbox talk to be done weekly, um, then we we launched the COVID nineteen dashboard, and they would start to do a daily assessment. And so, that is five x an engagement because now they're not just accessing us once a a week; it's five times every single day, and and so. That that's something we, we noticed uh, right away, and then as we, we sort of sort of massaging, or or getting more feedback from our existing clients and new people, what they were looking for within the dashboard, like how do we how do we deliver more value without you know a painstaking amount of product development, um, and the, some health authorities. And here's I guess kind of take a step back: is that in the U.S. specifically, every state has its own health authority. And every health authority has their own requirements of reopening and what symptomatic checks are necessary. And so it's, it's helping us because we're able to cater to that, like just inherently in our platform, we've built it in such a way that you can have multi jurisdictions um, work within it because uh, you know, we have, we have multinational companies, but uh, so it's really kind of helped us say, well, yeah, unlock the form, unlock our organization management. Uh, of course, that's subscription fees to get in, but then you can start to have various levels of reporting requirements happen across your entire organization, and you can delegate that management to local regional managers. And so in New York, they have, here's your six questions. In California, it's three questions. Here's the here's the three questions you need to answer. And then what you need to do is anybody who's reported symptoms, you need to get a list of daily, uh, uh, I mean positive reports and submit them to the health authority because now they're going to take those names and the the email address and they're going to do any contact tracing that they need to do and be prepared for that in order like through you know google and and other uh tech companies that are that are doing larger scale contact tracing uh in order to be prepared
2: I, i i look at this and i'm just I'm just, I'm looking at uh, various bits of information that I have in front of me and I, I just look at this and I go, couldn't have timed it better. I mean, it, it, this is an awful, awful time for the planet and humanity. Do not get me wrong. But when you've got a product or a service that then keys in to truly help people, um, I, I, I admire that greatly. Uh, so just on that on the reporting in different jurisdictions uh, there must be a configuration from an organization say hey we've got a facility in location x y and z they can then report in certain ways as required statutory um, requirements Um, and then they must have or I'm, i'm guessing they've got the ability to do uh, comparative across the organisation, not necessarily just by geography, so they get the big picture for their own HR and and health requirements. So does this, or have you seen that this has fitted in with the slow and gradual, or in some territories, the rapid opening up and reclosing, has this been something that has been a, a helpful service to feed into the information for employers
0: absolutely because now now they're figuring out the pace in which is safe to to reopen because if they it, uh one they have to manage the, the data like we're, we're throwing everything at them all at once in, in a way and uh they they while automation is great there is still intelligence that we need to leverage <laughs> and it's not artificial it needs to be actual real intelligence and so um trying to create an algorithm to auto flag people and remove them from work. Think of the consequences of that. The person is now going on assistance, on EI, on they're being laid off. They're they're now worried about providing for their family. Like you can't just automate that um, and tell Mm -hmm. people to stay home. So we're, we're providing data to a human so that humans can ingest it and figure out what the next move is. And then we're helping them with, the next move by providing guidance in communicating uh, updated policies uh, you know maybe some remote work activities and, and again updated PPE and, and sterilization practices uh, and of course repeating the social distancing measures that need to be applied when you're on a, on a, on a congested site so all of that it has all been kind of challenged because remote work wasn't as big of a deal as it is today, and so to try to maintain a pulse of communication is even a challenge. And text gets washed away, email gets lost in the in the in the rub, and uh, the rush of day to day work. Uh, so to have a, a platform technology like what we have to launch, uh, we have a content delivery system. So if you build a nice PDF, polished PDF, or get one from the, the government sources. You can launch that out to your workforce and track who's read it, who hasn't read it, who's engaged, how many how many minutes did they spend, how many seconds did they spend on this thing, and just know have a little bit of, of a gut feeling of uh, they you know that they read it.
2: Do you do you have a do you have a score on you know the likelihood of someone having actually absorbed reading something, or is it just the pure metric of they read it for? 38 seconds uh they probably haven't really taken much notice or is there is there a metric of a score or a dashboard that there's a traffic light system that says this person may not have consumed this sufficiently
0: so we don't we don't score them at this point in time that that specific function is still in beta uh where we're just making sure that we can we're so everyone gets it for free like we're not suddenly suddenly i'm a futurologist (laughs) <laughs> yeah you're dictating my product pipeline uh, now the next step is to include a quiz for comprehension um right. you know, did you actually understand this thing and if you fail it well then we can either allow them to correct it or go back and learn it and answer the question correctly kind of thing so there's going to be a whole lms kind of built around right. just that specifically
2: and i would imagine that for certain sectors or or, or territories and sectors where certain things are more critical for that industry the scoring would be different or the requirements would be different depending on the risk and 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 general safety so um uh um uh, as i'd like to now call you uh hercules's keeper um uh, where could we find out more information about safety tech um it's it's something that is absolutely a now product and you must have looked at the very beginning of this and gone, this is always going to be something that's important, but it's just been raised in the awareness of a general psyche. Where can we find that information?
0: So you can hit up uh, safetytek.io is our primary website. Everything's there. Uh, there's a COVID-19 call to action. If you want to go register for free, if you happen to be an organization owner or, or somebody in management that would like to start tracking uh, your workforce, do that. Uh, we, we even have a, a pseudo scenario analysis around COVID-19. So if one of your workers happens to contract COVID-19, you can go back in time to identify who has been who's crossed paths with that individual using our point-in-time GPS location tracker. So it's not like it's a real-time uh, instance. It's just when they submitted the document, where did they happen to be, and has anyone else been there at, at some point in time. So um, just a way to shortlist your response to a, a potential outbreak. Um, um, but you, Sorry. To, to kind of like reiterate or to, to get back to the point around um, building this for health and safety yeah, for, for everybody, uh, it, it's interesting because it's where we started and where we are today. We're finding that now conversations are starting to get back to more of our natural inherent value propositions, where it's safety management, not health management. Um, and the, the, the journey has been one of varying degrees where it's, you don't know anything. You're completely hoping that you're gonna last 30 months. Nobody wants to just die in 30 months. So that's not the plan that we're gonna go by, but of course we were prepared um, to, okay, now some of these leads that we're getting actually have emergency budgets because they need to get back to work. And now we're trying to figure out and through discovery, how big is your emergency budget? Is, is it, is it $10,000? Is it $50,000? What does that look like? And then from there, we got into actually closing deals in, in April, like shortly after releasing this thing for free. Um, and so we started to generate revenue. It wasn't consistent yet. Like there was no sales flow. Like there was no repeatable, scenario yet but then in in end of april early may we started to see okay well people come to us they want these four things it costs this much money let's just have a, a proposal ready to go and that's when things started to actually start to scale and so we were we were growing at a ex- exponential rate uh until july when the holiday schedules kicked in but uh, we're starting <laughs> to see some return to normal now
2: yeah, and, and and roll on September. I, I have to be honest. We've been in this strange period for for a lot of sectors where it kind of, for some organizations, went very flat in March, and the performance of some of the organizations and the decision-making has started to move forward. And so now we've hit the summer period as normal, and I cannot wait till September. Um, so... Uh, Ryan, as ever, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Startupville. I'd like to share a story with you. Um, we see increasingly lots of large-scale corporations in the US and, and the UK and, and even places such as Australia and Germany and France, and they are saying for the time being or even permanently we are closing our offices. There is there is central infrastructure for office based businesses that we simply don't need to fund in this current time. Uh, maybe we will look at having offices again at some point in the future, whatever shape that may be. Maybe it'll be hot desking rather than fixed desk, whatever it may be, or the infrastructure that they've put in to have separation and spacing. Um, but my friend works for a a, a tech firm uh, in London. And uh, they've decided to close their office entirely. Um, They have a manual health tracking system where everyone self-reports daily just on five questions, email it into HR. And it's very laborious. Incredibly. Um, They were absolutely fine. Their other half is a key worker, an essential worker. They contracted uh, COVID-19. They went home. Transferred it to my friend, who works works and lives in that apartment, and so that information that then went back to the corporation to the to the firm was essential. Yes, they weren't going to be mixing with anyone else, but they could show on their um, risk profile. Hey, this is this person is in this situation. Their productivity is going to go down, obviously, because they're not going to be doing anything. We need to check in with them to because they're a human being and they're a part of our corporate family so for anyone who's looking at this thinking well we're just gonna send people home and it will be fine the tracking is still crucial and um, uh, I it's funny I've already sent your information to that corporation to say hey you should look at this kind of thing because it might be useful I haven't heard back yet but I'll let you know if I if I do um, Ryan. Um, and more importantly, Hercules, thank you so much for joining us here on Startupville. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at retellyourstories.ca. The show is produced by me, Mike Wolfsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from Gigi Riggs and Reactor Productions learn more about us and our guests at innovationplacecom startupbill and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartUpBillPod. pop see you next time on startup Hill